A.J. Jacobs sees his life as a series of experiments. He wrote a book, for example, a few years back called The Year of Living Biblically, which records his one-year journey to follow every law in the Bible in the most literal way possible. He also once wrote about his experience reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica in his book called Know-It-All. More recently, he had a conversation with the barista who makes his coffee. Her name is Chung. And when he began to talk to her, she said something that stayed with him. She said the hardest part of being a barista is when people don't even treat me like a human being. They treat me like a vending machine. Sometimes people will hand me their credit card without even looking up from their phone. AJ realized something when he heard her say that. He had done exactly that in the past. He drinks coffee every day and he never before stopped to have a conversation with the woman who hands it to him. So he thanked Chung for giving him his coffee and she thanked him for thanking her. AJ had decided to try to thank every single person who had a role in making his morning cup of coffee possible. It's a journey that ended up taking him around the world. He went to the mountains of Colombia to meet and thank the folks who grew the coffee beans, who told him that their work would not have been possible without a machine to process the coffee fruit, which was made in Brazil, or the steel used in that equipment that came from here in the USA. So, in the end, AJ traveled back here to Indiana to thank the steelmakers. In all, he ended up thanking over a thousand people for helping to make his morning cup of joe. I hope that you have all had a happy Thanksgiving with your family if you're able. Sometimes, for many of us, family can be complicated, but we can all be thankful that no matter what your family may be like, it can't possibly be as fraught as Jacob and Esau in this week's Torah portion. Jacob and Esau, the twins, could not be more different from one another. Esau is the older by a few minutes, remember they're twins, but he's never let Jacob forget it. He's bigger, he's stronger, he's hairier. When he speaks, he is direct and to the point, and he is not above using intimidation to make a point or to get his way. Jacob is thoughtful, but also devious. He uses his intelligence to manipulate others while enriching himself. The irony of his character is that he's also susceptible throughout his life to the manipulations of others. His mother, Rivka, his uncle, Laban, his wife, Leah, even his own children. There's an old adage among grifters and confident schemers, you can't cheat an honest man. Indeed, the most successful cons are the ones in which the victim is also an accomplice. Well, Jacob, like a true con man, sees others around him mostly in terms of what benefit they can provide or what cost 
they may carry. Most of his relationships are largely transactional. When he has a vision that puts him face to face with God, he says, if God remains with me and protects me on this journey that I am making and gives me bread to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safe to my father's house, then Adonai shall be my God. That's complete unabridged, by the way. That is not, a, I know sometimes I improvise the Torah or embellish a little bit. That's word for word. However, perhaps he does not quite convince himself that he can trust in God because he does not, in fact, return to his father's house. He does not return to face his family. Now, I'm sure none of us here can relate to the idea of trying to avoid your family, especially this holiday season. Hopefully just from the TV room and not on a journey of many days. I don't know. But Jacob, instead of going back to his family, goes exactly the opposite direction. And he never really returns home to his father. Similarly, he does not seem to trust his brother, Esau. Perhaps that's understandable. After stealing Esau's birthright and blessing as a young man, Jacob is reunited with his brother in the Torah portion of this week. For the first time in 20 years, they're reunited. Esau, the burly hunter who is traveling with a company of 400 men. It could be that they're traders or even herdsmen or laborers, or it could be that they are soldiers approaching to destroy Jacob and his household. Jacob goes out cautiously to meet him and is relieved to find that Esau is in fact overjoyed to see him. Esau politely refuses a tribute that Jacob offers, saying that, He's done just fine for himself, even without the birthright. Thank you very much. Esau offers to travel with his brother to the region of Seir after this reunion and offers protection to Jacob's herds, which Jacob graciously agrees. He thanks his brother profusely for the offer, and he promises to meet him along the way once he gathers his household and his flocks. However, he does not follow through on his word. As before, when he encountered God, he headed off in the opposite direction. Perhaps he thought that his brother was insincere, that he secretly harbored a deep resentment and was plotting a scheme of his own. After all, that's exactly what Jacob would do himself. But if Esau has any intention of double-crossing his brother, or if he was at all insincere in his affection, there's no indication in the Torah. A 20th century Jewish philosopher named Martin Buber discusses this type of mindset. He calls it an I-it relationship. It's our human tendency sometimes to interact with others with insincerity, to treat people the same way that we treat objects and machines. Jacob 
chronically acts in a transactional way, even when, with those who are closest to him. He sees only what he can get and what it will cost without bothering to engage in the human being underneath. If he were alive today, he would likely treat the barista just like a vending machine, sliding his credit card toward her without looking up from the phone. This is the very embodiment of an I-it interaction. The opposite is an I-you or an I-thou interaction. An I-thou relationship centers on the encounter between two human beings. It happens when we are truly able to see and connect with the people around us. It happens when we drop the pretense of winning or losing, ignoring the gains and costs, and set aside the superficial. It's when the divine part of me encounters the divine part of you, and we experience a truly genuine moment of meeting. There's a hint in this Torah portion that even a habitually superficial person like Jacob is capable of that type of deep connection. When he first sees his brother after missing him for 20 years and seeing the unabashed love that his brother gives him, even after everything, Jacob exclaims, to see your face is like seeing the face of God, and you have received me favorably. And they both wept tears of joy. Gratitude begins with seeing the face of God in others. Whether it's a difficult sibling or a barista, seeing the face of God in those around us is the heart of gratitude, the core of a civilization which is made up of I and thou and thou and thou and thou, and not just a whole bunch of its.